Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank and recognize those people and companies that make this podcast possible. In my opinion, this podcast sponsor, Rosemary Brushes, make the best artist brushes available today. They have a huge inventory and are constantly innovating and adding new and interesting brushes to their line. They ship all over the world, and due to their exceptional customer service, you won't wait long to receive your order. To order some brushes for yourself, go to rosemaryandco.com. Anthony's Fine Art is located in a head-turning historic church in the heart of Salt Lake City, Utah. It's owned and operated in part by this podcast's regular guest, my favorite art historian, Dr. Micah Christensen. They specialize in 19th century European art and contemporary American art. This gallery is seriously a must-see. And if you're looking to acquire some incredible art, Micah's your guy. Learn more at anthonysfineart.com. My last corporate sponsor is one of my personal businesses, the Hein Atelier. This atelier has been going strong since 2002. Due to high demand in 2022, I adapted the entire curriculum to an online platform where I'm now able to mentor a limited number of students from all over the world. On our website and mobile app, each student can find many hundreds of hours of recorded lessons, demonstrations, and critiques, as well as text, illustrations, and other resources. We also have regular video model sessions, student galleries, and a private social media network where I and my students share, encourage, and motivate one another. Most importantly, this is not just a website full of videos and content. I personally work with each student through weekly Zoom critiques, instruction, and regular in-app communication. To learn more or to sign up, go to heinatelier.com. Last but not least, I am so grateful for you, my patrons. You are the most important and necessary sponsors of this podcast. Without you, I couldn't keep this thing going. If you love the show and are not yet a patron, please consider helping out. Go to theundrapedartist.com and click on the link, Be My Patron on Podbean. Then just pick a monthly amount that fits your budget. What are four great podcasts a month worth to you? Whether you're watching or listening on Apple Podcasts or just listening on another station like Spotify, please consider leaving me a five-star review. If you watch on YouTube, consider giving me a follow and a thumbs up. These things really help the channel. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Karen Wynn Burke, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. The pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, maybe embarrass you right off the bat. I hope you don't mind. But okay. you are one of <laughs> one of many artists that do this, and it always amazes me the humility in the art world that you felt like you didn't you you weren't in the right place to be interviewed like you weren't you know and i'm just like i look at your work and i was just like how much better can you be to be ready to be interviewed um well thank you i mean i just i remember when you reached out and i was like oh but can i just have eight more months i'll be better in eight months <laughs> i know <laughs> i thought that was incredible yeah, yeah. I'm glad you finally yeah. came on the podcast. It's great to it's oh, really you. great to have you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you how did you start in uh this art journey? Well, you know, I 
it was, you know, raised in the seventies when, I mean, parents just didn't want to know you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and I remember my mother putting this big piece of a big chunk of white copy paper down in front of me saying, well, this will keep her busy. Mm -hmm. And then just like leaving the room. And that was the vibe at home. Just like do your thing and, and stay out of trouble. And, um, so when I get to school, you know, we had art day, like one day a week. And that was the one day I wasn't in trouble. <laughs> it was the one, the one day that the teacher looked at me and said, well, like, why can't you be this way all the time? And, and I was like, yeah, well, why can't you, you know, stop being all up in my grill? <laughs> and, and so, you know, you skip, skip to, um, so art was always my thing just because people leave, left me alone. Right. And yeah. I was a terrible student and skip to, um, uh, junior high. My parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade and that was, it was just chaos at home. Just, it was awful. And I was failing like math and Spanish and it was like spiraling. And I remember in art class, we went to, um, you know, I realized, you know, growing up, like art was a superpower. Like if you could draw, people would leave you alone because they would be so amazed that you could you draw stuff. And so I was at this, um, uh, field trip. And I was at the LA County Museum, and I remember it because it was they had this big courtyard, and I was thinking it's like, and they had this be these beautiful mid-century modern couches, and I was like, wow, well, wouldn't it be great to live here? That could be my living room, and I could live at the museum. And and this other student was with me, and he's like, I hate being here. I hate art. Huh. And I said, Well, I hate math. You know, failing Spanish. And he looked at me, he goes, Well, maybe we could help each other. And long story short, I did his art homework and he helped me get through math and Spanish. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. I did all of his art homework because art homework back then was just keeping a sketchbook. So I did a sketchbook for him. And he did one drawing so I could mimic his style. And he wasn't very good, so it was pretty easy. So you didn't have and to be good he, at it. You just had to draw poorly like he did. Yeah, he, well, he was so mad at even having to do it because he was a math kid. You know, he was just like, this art is stupid. You know, my head is in math. You know, and I thought, like, it was interesting because I realized, well, not everybody likes art. Yeah. It's not everybody's thing. You know, I thought it was the end all be all. Um, but he hated it. And I hated math. And so our little union was fruitful because he great. had a lot of friends uh -huh. who hated art. And all the way through like middle school and into high school, he began to, he began to see like, oh, he could tutor kids and make money. Mm -hmm. And I could do people's sketchbooks and make money. So all through high school, that's what we did. You're kidding me. No, I did. I <laughs> no did art way. Homework. You got paid yeah. to do people's art homework. Yeah, I, I had my own little business and it was very hush hush. And they had to, you know, 
do one or two drawings so I could mimic their styles. And it was easy because, you know, they weren't, they weren't very good because they didn't like it. This is and incredible. I, I love this story. <laughs> okay. How much did you make for a sketchbook? Oh, back then, this was in the, when was I in high school, like in the early 80s. So I made $20 for a sketchbook. For, is that for, for the whole year? For a semester? Yeah, but this was at the, you know, the early 80s. So that was like $50. Plus you're a now. kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so honestly, when I graduated high school, I had like $2,000. Holy crap, you did a lot of sketchbooks. I did a lot because we we just didn't do our I So you did a hundred sketchbooks. A hundred yeah, sketchbooks. I did other people's schools too. Are you serious? Yeah, I was just a little operator. Oh my gosh. Wait, did your parents wonder why you had piles of sketchbooks in your room? I, I can't well, they like I said, you know, when they got when my parents got divorced and I went to live with my mom, I was a typical latchkey kid. She was working. I was at home. I mean, I was on my own in LA in the, you know, the early 80s. It's like nobody was paying attention. This is the best story I've heard yet. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. And I almost got caught because uh I think somebody must have caught on in my our teacher in high school because at the end of my senior year, he said, you know, maybe you should use your powers for good not evil and he kind of winked at me like i know what you're doing but he never ratted me out that's gold you yeah. know what in the spirit of confession uh, can i confess something to you too here mm -hmm. so i had a similar thing going it wasn't so much a business it was mostly just for friends but one of the one of the skills that comes along with good drawing is being able to um copy people's signatures so <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I've so done that too. Yeah. You have, yeah. So I would do that for my friends if they needed a note from their parents to get out of school yeah. or whatever. Oh my gosh, my mom's hearing this, she'd die. But I remember I I did it for this kid up the street pretty regularly. And then I ended up being the best man at his wedding. And I never knew that his mother found out about it. And I and I gave my whole speech at the wedding and then she followed me and called me out for being uh for doing that for her son for the whole the, all through high school and i was like oh my gosh i was horrified that she had known about it or she found out about it i don't know when he uh, told her but yeah yeah we're we all had dark pass <laughs> you know you got it we, you know you have to find a way to make some money and i just it's i mean i kind of it was fun too the larceny of it all and the the clandestine you know having sketchbooks you know mailed to me are you serious <laughs> my mom never kidding. found out she never did she never because she was in her own world and i'm glad you know she's doing her she was having her troubles and and i had this whole it's just scrappy that's all i can i'm still scrappy um, but that's where it's really started. Is your mom but alive I today? Say, I have to say that, you know, I, once I got into school, the, the, the art teacher in high school said, you know, you know, why don't you go to, cause my grades were crap and go to junior college, see if you like art, you know, take some painting classes. And, but I, I stopped the homework business, you know, I wasn't going to do it, you know, 
when I was in college because that I thought to myself, well, then I'm doing it for a minor and that's bad, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I knew that much. It's like that you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> so, so, so I asked you a second ago, but you didn't hear me. Is your mother still alive? Is she going to hear about this? No, she died. She died um, about ten years ago. Oh, okay. So she she never found out about it. She never found. I never told her. That's a trip. She would have gotten. My mother was very straight laced. Very, I mean, um, Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was like no joke. I mean, she would have been horrified still. <laughs> really? She would have been just so disappointed. In oh me. man. Well, you've had plenty of time to repent of your your awful yeah, business. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's gold. So, I don't want to jump ahead any, but has this uh creative business solutions mentality helped you in your I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not asking you to confess that you have a criminal enterprise in selling paintings right now. But obviously, there is some creative aspect to this whole business you had going in high school. Has that helped you, that way of thinking about business oh, today? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, in college, I put myself through college and I had, you know, to work. And so part of the job was I cleaned houses. And then the other thing was like, well, wait a minute, I could sell drawings. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I did. You know, I lived in like a beach community and I would find a coffee house and I, you know, make friends with the owner. And I said, here, I really want to set up in front and sell my drawings. And and I always went to places where I knew people had money. Mm-hmm. Right. And because back in those days, you know, nobody had Venmo. So this whole thinking of, of finding a place where creating a need where a need wasn't there yeah i was always good at that like i need to go to a place where people have money in their pockets and i'm this oddity and they'll buy you know some of my drawings and work through college paid my way through school doing that Hmm. and that led to other things because you know it was just also the um when you're a painter People see it as like this super pot. They see it as such a strange thing you can do. Um, like, wow, you know, like they want to be part of it. And I realized that that was key into selling art. It's like you're making, you're making your audience part of it. Hmm. That's and great. Just, yeah. And so I did that. And I, I have to confess, I did some for- copies. You know, they come to me and say, well, I can't afford this painting. And uh, I just saw your, um, this is really confessing, but I think he'll forgive me. I did Scott Christensen copies too, a lot of them. <laughs> He's going to hunt you down. <laughs> he is. I think he, I think he actually said in the podcast, I think he actually said in the podcast, it would drive him crazy. Was he talking about Mozart or something? And And someone spent like, 10 years just rewriting this thing and he said if someone if someone copied my painting for 10 years would drive me crazy <laughs> but you didn't do it, it for 10 years so it's totally different no, no. yeah totally yeah, different. Yeah. i just and uh so that was you know and it's, it's funny because this little junior college i went to i got the best 
um, uh, he taught, I, you know, it's like this guy who was teaching, his name was George Kyle. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but it was a total atelier style um, two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I rely on that two years to this day. I still use what he taught me. Really? I mean, like we did. Yeah. I mean, we didn't paint with color for a year. I mean, it was like it was grayscales and it was cubes and it was cylinders. And we did a lot of old master copies and was really rigorous. It was he was away before his time because this was in like I started college in '86. It was you know this was like a little junior college in Irvine, which is in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, you know to a four year. Then I went to a four year university from that, and that's where everybody was doing like this conceptual stuff. And everybody wanted to talk about their feelings. I did not want to talk about my feelings. Uh huh. You know, I just wanted to learn how to draw and paint. It's incredible how many times I hear this on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for people our age in our generation. It's crazy because you're probably, so if you started college in the eighties, or you put, I know this is, this is part of being an artist. You have to tell us your age. Were you born like 68 ish? So you're born like 67, 68? 68, yeah. 68, okay. So we're pretty yeah. close to the same age. I was born in 74. Yeah. yeah, anyone our age, we went through that. It's it's funny. Sharing your feelings in college instead of actually learning anything. Yeah, and you know, we'd have these crit classes and people would cry in them. And I was like, in my head, I was paying for this. This is not what I was paying for. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know. And plus, you know, I wanted to learn my craft. So I was taking this life drawing teacher, this life drawing class with the department chair of the illustration department. And I was lamenting to him, like this crit class where these people were crying. And he goes, well, you just need to come over to the illustration department and you can do whatever you want. Hmm. There's no crying in illustration. And I did. That's how I switched. So I got my undergraduate degree in drawing and painting, and I went and I got my master's in illustration. I was quite really? happy with illustration. Yeah. No kidding. I didn't realize you could switch when you go from well, bachelor's I think to back master's. Then, I mean, he was the he was like the head guy, and I didn't even have to do a, a portfolio review. He just said, "Come on in." Well, in. he must have seen your work in general, right? Yeah, we we got. He he's he was a really great guy. He is like this old codger who would turn on Dodger games during class. Really, he'd listen to baseball games. He was great, and he hmm. would he would tell me stories where he was a kid. He would draw that they would draw their own um, uh, movie theater tickets to get into the movie theaters. No kidding. Yeah. Oh my, my gosh, your life was just surrounded by criminals. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. I love it. He it really did that and he got away with it. What 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 materials was he using? He was using well, that's just like, you know, in movie theater, I mean, he was old at that point. He must have been like 70. Wait, wait, wait. He was he was cheating the movie theater at 70 years old? No, he was telling me stories when he was oh, a kid. Oh, okay. That makes a little yeah, more sense. When, yeah, when, um, you know, um, 
movie theaters had paper tickets. Right. Like he, he said, we're not the kids, you know, this is what illustration, this is what drawing can do for you. You know, you can, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I ended up, and I really liked the illustration department and it, it taught me, uh, you know, it's like a workshop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was like Santa's workshop. Everybody was there trying to get better. But usually master's degrees, at least this is what I understand, usually master's degrees are where you just sort of get a studio and you. this is where you actually start building a portfolio and mm -hmm. quote unquote expressing yourself. But, but it sounds like what you're saying is this is the first time where you actually had academic classes and training. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there was, everybody was, yeah, because we shared with each other, like, oh, how do you do that? How do you do this? And there was... We were still taking painting classes and really yeah the worst the worst of it was writing that thesis which was you know do they you have to have write to... a thesis for a master's oh degree? yeah i did i didn't know I that write, for an art degree i got a b i got a b minus on it and it was fine barely isn't the whole point to paint what you're thinking and not what write what you're thinking yeah well maybe it was just the department the you know because i went to a state university so maybe it hmm. was just you know what they their curriculum, but yeah, I remember I wrote my thesis on um, William Blake's illuminated poetry. And uh, hmm. yeah, that was, you know, it was like a 60 page thesis. And you yeah. had to, you know, you went to class to write, you know, you were, it was a whole thing. Oh, and maybe gosh. It just, that sounds terrible. You didn't have to do that? I, I didn't get a master's degree. I didn't even get a bachelor's degree. So I, I, I had two, two classes left, one painting class and one writing class at the end of my fourth year at the University of Utah. And then it was actually the end of my ninth year in school or something like that, something crazy, but fourth year at the University of Utah. And then I just started selling paintings and I kept on procrastinating. So I never got the degree, two classes. Can you believe that? Yeah. But one of them was writing. So as you're talking about this thesis, part of the reason I never got the degree was it was like the idea of taking a writing class, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to keep painting. I don't want to take a writing they class. Give, they, should, they should give you an honorary master's degree. With oh, are you kidding? They hate me at the University of Utah. You kidding me? No, that, that'll never happen. I'm like, I'm the antithesis of what the University of Utah represents. They, they would never give me an honorary degree. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Yeah. But thank you. That's nice of you to even <laughs> suggest something like that. Yeah. I think you should be giving the, you know, the graduation address to the art department. Oh man, imagine that. No, that's never going to happen. But anyway, you know, well, maybe you don't know because you do have a master's degree, but I haven't, I haven't seen that it's hurt my career any, not having a degree in art. Yeah. No, I, re it, I remember when I graduated and they put the hood, they give you a hood, the hood over you. I cried because I was so tired. And, you know, I put myself through school and it meant so much to mm -hmm. me that, I mean, have I used it? The, the having that degree? No, probably not. I tell my son, you know, it's like, like I've never used it. Yeah. But it makes it, but it means the world to me and I'm glad I did it. Yeah. If you earned it, then that piece of paper yeah. is really important. You know, I just have a small atelier and I don't obviously give out degrees, 
And mm -hmm. even if I did, it'd be worthless. Really, all that matters is the education, right? Right. But but my I hired this guy. His name is or his handle on Instagram is Letter Queen. I'll show it to you. It's so crazy cool. His stuff is right here. Letter Queen. Letter dot Queen. Oh. oh, that's great. But I hired him to do something like like what document like this or like a graduate certificate. And yeah. my students like they're giddy over it i mean they oh, want yeah. it so bad and obviously it's not going to give them a future right but right. like you said once you've paid paid your dues and in your case literally monetarily paid your dues but also paid yeah. your dues as far as work yeah. it's like man that piece of paper means something at that point even if it's not going to help your career it's yeah. it means something it, it, it's something inside like you yeah. carry that with you yeah, yeah. totally Totally. Yeah. So what did you do next after you finished the department? So and when I was thinking about this, it's like, I don't know why I did this, but I was so tired of being broke and not having enough to eat. And it's like, I saw my friends get these jobs and they were making money. And so I totally was a sellout. A friend of mine said, you know, I could get you into this marketing job and we have benefits and i went i totally just caved i was so tired and and so i took i just did not do i took a marketing job mm. yeah and i don't know why i did that because obviously i could have i could have made money with art mm. but i was just it's so, scary yeah you know it was just and plus you know if you have spent years and years struggling and not having enough money and and i just i needed that security i think of a job yeah and I, plus i wanted to like yeah i wanted to wear nice clothes and you know feel all grown up <clears throat> so i was i sold out i um i did it's not I, selling out <laughs> I, you know i i know i, I just, know i know how you must yeah. have felt but yeah it's not just selling so, it's like oh i just want to normal i want to be normal see if i can do that can i be normal yeah and, but i always on the weekends i always drew mm -hmm. i mean always and on the side maybe i do a few portraits or dog portrait here and there and and i would as i grew you know as i got more and more established in the marketing um field mm -hmm. and i would maybe i got an office and i'd always put like i'd frame i put my drawings up in the office and people would come in and say who did that and i'd go well i did that and they look at me like wow you did that like it was almost like a different person and i remember thinking it's like yeah that is a different person and maybe that's who i really am but so I'm playing at this marketing role, hmm. but I always kept my hand in it until it got, until, you know, the career kind of, as you make more money, it just kind of dies by the wayside. Um, so for years, you know, I, I, I went the career route and, um, you know, I had a child and then I needed to make more money hmm. and then, I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, but I, I spent a lot of time in the entertainment industry and and during the nineties when everybody was acting poorly, if you know what I mean. It was like 
it was a crazy business. Wait, wait. So what did you don't skip over too much? I'm really curious. <laughs> what what exactly did you do in the entertainment industry? Um, well, I worked as a tour manager and a road manager. You know, what in the world? How in the world company? did you graduate in art and end up with a job like that? Because the money, I was so, and you know, I can't. Well, they don't just give money out. You've got to prove competency, though. How did you? Oh, end well, up I was good at it. You know, I was good at organization, and I was. I think that's where the the you know the larceny and comes in. <laughs> if you're in, the, you need to know how to cook the books. Mm -hmm. You need to know how to not play by the rules. And no I was kidding. Good at that, but right? how did they was, know you were good at that? I'm just curious how you got your foot in that door. I just had, you know, I worked and began at working for um, performing arts centers. And then I went to opera companies and then I went to the L.A. Chamber Orchestra and, you know, and all those nonprofit arts organizations. You have to be really good at managing a budget because you have hmm. a, your department budget and you're always working with no money. You're dealing with, you know, artists, musicians. Mm hmm. And I was good at that. I was good at working with people. And I, you know, I knew psychologically, you know, how to manipulate them. Wow. Uh, I wish you yeah. were a painter and you could be my manager. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Yeah. I mean, I always knew that how to get how, what people were thinking. Like, huh. I always, I, I just always had that, that sixth sense of like, oh, this is what you really want. You're saying X, but you mean Y. Hmm. And then in at like 2007, I'd had enough, you know, and I wanted to spend more, obviously more, more time with my son. And so I quit cold turkey. So you just and, have the one kid? Uh, yeah. Okay. And and how old um, is he now? He's 25 now. Cool. And you know, he's a, he's just, he's great. I mean, he's just great. And so I just quit. And then I started, my mom had all these rich friends down in Newport beach, which is a ritzy area of orange County. And I started painting interiors of all their big houses, which used to be a thing, um, like in the 17th, 18th century, people with estate homes would have their their interiors of their houses painted mm -hmm. as a, like here, this is my estate in Sussex or, you know, this, whatever. Wait, what do you mean and by so painted? Do you mean like murals or just? The, in, like their living room as a painting. Like all four walls, just a big like, mural all the way around. No, like, no, I did a painting of their living room. Like, oh, like my bad. Okay. So you actually went in and did a painting of their living room. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And would and, they hang was, it in their living room that it was painted of? No, I think they take it. Most of these people had several homes. So mm. I think they they would take it to another home and put it right. up. Um, and that that was really fruitful. Hmm. That was, I mean, it was all word of mouth. And then I got in with some interior designers and they're like, hmm. I did some copies. <laughs> when I did some Scott Christensen copy. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, and that's when we, my husband and I started that, you know, the Halcyon Studios. 
that's where that comes from because we we got okay this is going to work so we did we did a we started that that company wait a minute i don't know it, anything about this company what's this company oh well you know that my instagram says halcyon studios doesn't say my name oh it does i wasn't even i don't even yeah. remember okay yeah so that's where you know we named it halcyon studios and um that's why i keep it i keep it i keep that name because we started that business together okay okay and then because that's going great and then he gets diagnosed with ALS, which is oh freak! You got to be kidding me! Yeah, which is like it's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, but it's it's basically a neurological disease, and it paralyzes you. Mm -hmm. You become a quadriplegic, and uh, the doctor gave him like three years to live. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. You so know, it came fast. Young... Once he got it, it just progressed really fast. Well, actually, you know, we walked, it's when the doctor said, you know, you have three to five years, so you better go do what you want to do because it's, and there's no cure, no treatment, no nothing. So, and we had this, you know, I think Jack was like 10 at the time. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. Yeah. But he, you know, so he, it ended up, he had it for 10 years. It Whoa. progressed slowly, slowly enough that he had the first two years, you know, you know, he could function well enough. And then I think by year four, he was fully paralyzed. Um, and, you know, we were like, our first priority was like, you know, we had to keep, you know, life as normal as possible for, for our son. And so we were like parenting first and you know, dealing with the disease. And so I had stopped, that stopped the painting in its tracks. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and then he lived six more years paralyzed, fully paralyzed. He couldn't talk. He rarely, barely could talk. He could only move his feet. How did he eat? I fed him. But if he couldn't talk, could he swallow? He could barely he used to swallow, but eating was a really, I had to really, it was a thing. I mean, it was, there's, it was so much. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine. You're making me want to cry. You're making me want to cry here. <laughs> that says terrible. Yeah. I mean, he, he was such, I mean, he was such, I mean, he was, this was a guy who rode motorcycles, you know, he had a Ducati and he skydived and he, he was just like Mr. Outdoor event. You know, he was just, he was great. I mean, he was just so strong and he, so he, you know, and he, in the early days of it, you know, we were trying to make as much money as we could. So I went back to work as a consultant for a catering company to make money. And, he day traded while well, he could still work a mouse. And then, and then when he was totally paralyzed, he could still work, move his feet. So we got him a foot mouse so he could be at his desk and, you know, he could be on the internet and that kept him engaged. And I started painting these little paintings for him for his, at his desk. 
because I mean his world was our you know was totally shut in. And he would ask me to paint him stuff, and I would paint him whatever he wanted. Um, and uh, so and that went on for a couple of years, and then the last four years of his life it was like it was full on twenty four seven caregiving, and it was just him and I, and um, it was really intense. I mean, it was everything that you can think of that somebody needs help with. I mean, that was it. Everything. Um, I know what you're talking about because my mom had a friend who had it and her oh. husband had to work full time. So she would go and do all those things for her during the day for a yeah. little while. Gosh, I'm so sorry. That's yeah. hard. I mean, it's um, it was crazy, but we did it together. I mean, and we always, you know, we knew that we... He was he was a great guy because he he saw this as a way to you know you you really I don't know, when when life gives that to you 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 can really evaluate why you're here. I mean it was a lot. I mean I know this isn't the ALS podcast, so I won't like. No, but this is your life. This is what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean it was, but he you know the thing with him was. He was such a great partner because he had such a great artistic eye. And I would be painting these paintings sometimes for him on, on his desk. And I bring them out and he would criticize them. <laughs> and he'd, he'd say, Well, that's not your best work. <laughs> that's part go of being back, married. <laughs> go back and do it again. You know, you're painting not, he'd always say, You're painting not to lose. You need to paint to win. You know, he's really wow. my harshest, my harshest critic, but he was always right. Hmm. He was always right. And so I think about a week before he died, he was, we were having a really tough conversation and he was crying and I was crying. But I thought he couldn't speak. Well, I could, I could understand him. Oh, so he could sort of form words, but just not clear. Yeah, he could, but I, so I, you know, he, I could still understand. Nobody else could, but I could. Um, and uh, he was so worried about what was going to happen to me and Jack. And, I, and, and he was scared. And, um, and I said, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rent our house out so I get some income coming in. And I said, I'm going to make a success of this painting business that we started. So, you know, you, you look in somebody's eyes and you make that kind of promise. You're going to keep your promise. And so a week later, he died. And it took me, and I did exactly what I told him I was doing. I revamped our house I sold like all of our furniture and I got it rented in like in three months and uh, I moved into a little place and um it took me about six months and then I started I started this painting journey you know back to what I knew but you know prior it's like painting these little six by inch paintings mm. and I and you know um 
it's crazy, but so I, I did that. And then I went to the park. I took about 30 paintings with me because that's what I knew. I knew how to go out and set up and sell. It's like I went back to to what I knew. You know, of course, you know, it's a total mess. Probably still are my mess. Um, but uh, and I did that. I painted, I painted these paintings. I went to the park every weekend for a year and a half. Seriously. Every, were there Every any other week, artists yeah. there? Or was just this your? This was just your just thing. Just me, and this was during the this was. Now we're at twenty twenty, so this pandemic was raging, and I knew that it's like okay, I've got to take myself back to school, and just paint and paint and paint, right? And I need it's like training for a marathon. It's like I needed to be able, you know, to get my skills back, and to get my stamina back because I knew if I was going to do this full time, I was going to be painting 70 hours a week. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I had a lot of, a lot of time to make up. Um, so I did that every weekend and I, Jeff, I hated it. Really? I just wanted to curl up and, I mean, I was I'm missing him and I just, I, and I think, you know, I'm so tired from, all the caregiving all those years and but I the last thing I wanted to do was go hawk my paintings in the park but I just I thought well this is how I'm just gonna have to start right man uh, that's incredible and nobody and and I always would go and I set up I got myself you know those gorilla carts that mm -hmm. they have I got a gorilla cart and I kind of set up a, a system where I could display the paintings that kind of look professional. And I take it down to the park and I always sold. It's like, and nobody, you know, nobody laughed at me and nobody was cruel or anything like that. Everybody liked them. It was very humbling. Um, Humbling just because you're at the park and doing this thing on. I'm your... at the park at my age and it's like I was fifty, starting all over again. Like yeah. in so many ways. And you'd had so much success in these other careers. Yeah, and I was just like, but you know, I really am only qualified to be a painter. I really think it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I should be doing. So I was kind of happy. It's like, oh, I, now I can call myself a painter. It's like, because I'm really doing it. And, um, but it was just kind of, I just felt like, you know, like, oh, I'm just, just starting all over. I guess it, it's like how you would feel like if your house burned down and you had nothing mm -hmm. and you have to build your life from scratch. Um, but it was really good from a, marketing standpoint because I could see and I did mostly still lives to begin with to get my skills back up and it was interesting you know I could see what, what people liked and what they didn't like and you know sometimes they bring their kids and that was the best part because kids and art mm -hmm. they know, love the kids it would like that's great I mean when kids and art are the best Mm -hmm. They come up and they pick a painting, and you know, of course, their parents would have to buy them the painting. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I think I sold them for like $40. Wow. Each. Just super. Me. And I was so. How long did they take was, you to paint? Oh, I made sure. I say, I mean, I labored over them because I wanted to, I had like three hours. So I was putting a lot of time into them because. So you're making 10 bucks an hour after materials at best. And yeah. But you know, it wasn't about the money because I had the rental income coming in. So I knew like that was covering you know, the mortgage. And I mean, I was a bit smart about the money part. Mm -hmm. um, so it was not about the money. It was about becoming a better painter and just finding out what the world was like because I was so isolated for so long taking care of him that it really is kind of like I was stuck in 2009 when he first got diagnosed. I mean, I really, I like, I had no idea like Venmo was a thing. Like I went to the park thinking, well, how much money are people going to be having in their pockets? Because I thought it was going to be a whole cash transaction. And then it was like, oh, can I Venmo you? It's like, what's that? <laughs> no, I got to I got to uh, come clean for you, <laughs> make you come clean. You didn't know what you didn't know how to use Zoom when you came on this meeting. You're so no. new to the world, the technology world. I love it. No, I mean, I just like I'm so I probably still I'm really isolated because I've just been working so hard at regaining my my uh, my persona here. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I did that for a year and a half, and then. Then I stopped because I realized, okay, I can, I can stop now. You know, I would sell everything. Stop, and I stop going to the park, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Stop going to the park. And because at, at the height of it, I think I made a thousand dollars a month cash at the park doing park sales. Hmm. But it was a grind because I'd have to at least take 30 paintings every weekend. Cause maybe if I sold 10, you know, I, I needed to keep the inventory. Uh, but at that point, you know, I thought, okay, my chops are getting there. And so then I just started like, okay, well, yeah, just start painting, you know, more complex stuff. And what do you want to say to your paintings? I mean, what, what's your narrative? And that was like, I started doing like in, you know, early 20 early 2022 man you couldn't have started was, at a worse time i, I mean know. seriously your husband passes away and then you have to start this whole mess in the middle of covid yeah but you know what everybody was was lamenting about all oh, the isolation i was like i was fine with that because that's all i knew for really for the past five years of his life i mean mm. it was it was isolating I mean, all I knew, I mean, so I knew nothing of the outside world because I really couldn't leave him for more than 20 minutes at a time. And I remember after he passed away, I was driving at night and you know what, Jeff, I hadn't driven outside of the house at night in probably six years. You can't be serious. Yeah. Oh my like, gosh. Oh, I'm driving at night. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Are you, crazy. do you, I can't even imagine you must be insanely strong mentally 
to be able to cope with all that. I feel like that would have uh, that would have made me break. Well, I think you know because he was such a uh, we did it together. I mean, he and I see the 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 things, the decisions that were made when he was sick all those years really was setting setting me up so you know we didn't we never had to sell our house you know he made some you know he was man he was hard on a dollar i remember i'd be doing the dishes and he'd be yelling at me not to waste water because the water bill was too high right you know and he was really and i realized now he was you know we were stocking away money because he knew i i was gonna have to live a life after he went and but we did it together i'd have to say that his strength you know, made me more strong. And I think my strength helped him. Um, but, so, you know, and I knew, you know, we made this promise that we would never do this. We had a couple of really come to Jesus talks and, you know, he said, I'm never going to leave you. He said, I might not be physically here, but I'm always going to be with you. And he really has because it, you're right. I mean, it's amazing that I had the wherewithal that I could start painting that soon after he passed away. And it's amazing how things have, have turned out. Um, but, you know, he's like, um, you know, in Formula, you ever watch Formula One racing? When I was a kid, my dad was really into racing. So a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was really into racing. So we'd watch racing, you know, motorcycle racing and Formula One every Sunday, and he'd say, "I'm going to be your race engineer when I'm dead. I'll be telling you what's, you know, you just listen to me, and I'll tell you what's, you know, over the over the the next turn that you can't see." So he's, but you know, he really is my race engineer. My it's, gosh, this is like. Yeah. You, you should sign a movie deal. This is the most inspiring story. I mean, what you went through is unfathomable. I can't even imagine going through that. And then to come around the other side and yeah. be able to find the success that you had through COVID, like mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I really think, you know, God's hand is all into it. I mean, it's, and, he, you know, God sometimes can take you on a path you don't want to go, but it's where you're supposed to be. And, you know, Scott realized that he was like, I'm not, he said, I was, I'm not upset I had ALS because it's, really? it's kind of given me a chance to get things right. I mean, to understand, you know, who he was as a person and what life was all about and you know, you, when you care for your family member like that, I mean, it's, it truly is a gift. I mean, it's changed, obviously it's changed me forever. And I think it's informed how I paint for sure. I mean, I think I see a way of seeing the world that nobody, that is rare. Yeah. Is rare. Well, um, no one sees it exactly like you, but the level of trauma that you've been through is certainly rare. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I, I, I'm still like whacked. <laughs> I know I am. How long ago did he pass? Um, it'll be five years in April. And how old was your son when it happened? 
when he was, I don't know, he was like 19, 20, he was in the Marine Corps. So he was, the, he was deployed and he was in like Okinawa. So, so you came. were, you were at least in a position, I mean, if the one thing in your favor, perhaps was that at least you didn't have a little kid at home when this all happened. When he died, yeah, but I mean, Jack grew up with it. I mean, he because he was like ten when Scott got diagnosed. And no, no, no. I mean, like... no, that was terrible. I mean, when you started this career change. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Jack was out of the yeah. So if so, if someone starves, it's going to be just you. Exactly. Yeah. Except you know, I had made this deathbed promise to Scott that you know I wouldn't mess things up and I would you know financially be okay. So there was that. Like, like I couldn't, you are incredible. I could not 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 be a success. I mean, I have to do this as Hmm. a, as a, as a homage to, to him as a person. He must be so proud. So I think he is. Of course he is. is. He's gotta be. So, okay. So you're not going to the parks anymore. And uh, I see that you're in Arcadia gallery. Tell me about this transition. So he, so that was really funny because I had done some, put some stuff in some local galleries and here in San Francisco, it's more like a a la prima type of vibe here. Oh, I thought it was totally modern vibe there. I didn't even realize they had an a la prima vibe. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, a lot of plein air painting and a lot of daily Mm. painting and a lot of, you know, the, the indirect painting, not so much. And. I realized that I just wasn't part of that party. Like I just, I just didn't fit in. And, and so I made a decision like, okay, I'm just gonna go away and paint what I want to paint and paint it really well and take my time, you know, do small studies and take them big. And I had planned on doing that for a solid year with no income coming in except for the rental right. income. Right? And I was like, all right, it's like you're not going to make any money. Money's going to be going out the window, and you're just going to have to be okay with that. And so I started on that path. And I'd say within three months, I get this DM from the owner of Arcadia Gallery. And I was like, this was a told what the F moment. And I remember like, what's going on? You know, why is he contacting me? And that's how that started. You know, he's just like, yeah, I've been following your work and we've got this show coming up and you know, how about giving us some paintings? It was totally out of the blue. Only three and months I, I in think, too. Yeah. But I think, you know, I forgot to say this one bit that in the interim, I began showing at this North Boston gallery called Williams Fine Art, and it's run by an artist, Donald Journey, and his wife, Judy Williams. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was back east, and I knew being back east was where I needed to be. So I started showing with them, and I have a feeling, I never asked Arcadia how they really found me, but I kind of think that that's how they found me. Hmm. Um, I think that's how that that came about. Are um, you still with the gallery in Boston, Williams Fine Art? Yeah, 
Yeah. So you're yeah. doing two galleries. Yeah. And then the, the Williams fine art, I'll do smaller stuff. And, you know, Arcadia, um, I'm definitely, you know, the new, you know, the new girl on the block. And I just have my toe in the water with them. And I just want to keep my seat at the table. I mean, that was a, that was a big, that got, I got really nervous when that happened. Hmm. I really did. It's, it's funny. Don't you think that a lot of times art and painting is a mind game and you can really psych yourself out. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. 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 It's uh, people who aren't painters don't get it. Well, at least, well, at least the people I associate with don't get it. You know, my wife will often sort of, I mean, she's very sympathetic, but she'll, I've told this to many people, but I come home from work and I'm just beat up some days. And I remember one time my wife goes, she's like, oh, are you tired, Jeff? Is it, is your wrist tired? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you don't have a freaking clue. It's not, it's like taking the ACTs all day, every day in your underwear while people are pointing and laughing. It's like, it's a, it's this crazy emotional game. And at the same time, mentally exhausting to be a painter, but it's still awesome too. I mean, it's not, obviously we choose it, right? Right. I mean, it, 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 um, yeah, I screwed up a couple paintings and, 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 but then, you know, I got into that first show with them and they all sold and he was really happy. Um, and that it, they're such a great gallery mm-hmm. and they, I mean, I'm so blessed to have, to be a part of a small part of that gallery and to be with all those savant artists. I mean, yeah, they've got a lineup there big time. Yeah. I mean, so that is, I mean, that fills my heart. It's like, okay. Um, so that, yeah, and I was, I was just on the verge because I was going to do all those paintings and I'll tell you my last harebrained scheme that I had, if nothing was going to happen. And I got it from, you know, the, the, um, the China Wedgwood, mm-hmm. you've ever heard? Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, the guy that started Wedgwood was Josiah Wedgwood and he had this great idea and he would send, you know, his best pieces to all the crown heads of Europe, never expecting, you know, he was sending all this money out and all this product and he was sending it out knowing that if they saw it in person, that they would order more. So I got in my head, I go, okay, what if I did that with paintings? What if I did, you know, like 12 by 12, really great paintings. And I sent it to some big name, galleries back east you know i actually mailed them expecting that you know they wouldn't have you know maybe that i'd never see that painting again or maybe they would take notice calling me back that's so that really smart ma- because you know painting is a you got to be in front of a painting to really appreciate it well not to mention if i owned a gallery and and I found a painting on my doorstep one day, I'd be like, not even if it was good, I'd mm-hmm. be excited. But if it was good, 
and it showed up in that manner, I'd be so excited for the grit of the artist too. It's like, okay, this is an artist that I want to be in business with. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. So that was my, that was my plan. And if things go south, I might do that yet. But the thing is you can't fake it because it takes some sacrifice. You're willing to take a week off or a week, a year off of work altogether, no income in order to get yeah. better. That's one major sacrifice you made to better your art. And then you're willing to just mail free paintings to galleries. That's scary. So it's not like you can just fake this grit. If you did those things because you had grit, yeah, you can't fake it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just knew that it, it takes that kind of thinking out of the box and that kind of really faith in yourself mm -hmm. to, especially nowadays with, you know, everything is behind a screen, Instagram, and there's all these platforms online to sell your work. And I was, I've always, and I still am thinking like, there's no better way is, you know, that, 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 uh, that, you know, you've got to get paintings in front of people. Yeah. And you know people. what? Can I tell you something? I've got, I've been really fortunate. I have so many paintings in my home. They're little because I'm not rich, but I'm I'm really fortunate to have a pretty good collection of art of paintings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them I've gotten off of Instagram um, because, you know, that's I don't have access to these people any other way. Right. Yeah. I would say about 50 percent of the time. They're better in person yeah. and 50 percent of the time they're worse in person. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this sucks. When one shows up, and I'm, I wouldn't say who's or who's, but when one <laughs> shows up uh, and it's not quite what I saw online, I'm just so disappointed. And then on the other yeah. hand, they show up and they're better than I saw online. It's like, yes. I just actually bought one from Valentin Fisher, my guest from last oh, week. Yeah. 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 And he shipped it from all the way from Germany within like three days. Guy's a stud. Oh my gosh, yeah. it was so much better so much better in person but every time i order something like that i'm a little nervous because you just never yeah. know i mean people i don't know if people are editing or if it's just something about being backlit or what yeah, but some instagram people's paintings just look better i mean it, it, you can fool a lot yeah. on instagram which sucks because it goes to that have you ever read what is that book uh i read it some time ago a long time ago but when my kids were young teenagers and it talked about how social media is just killing, literally killing teenagers, particularly teenage girls. Yeah. Because they're comparing themselves at a level so far beyond any other generation to other girls. But it's not good for boys either, it's, but particularly girls statistically, but yeah. also particularly painters for crying out loud. We might not be killing ourselves. I don't know of any statistic that says we are, but. But for crying out loud, you get on Instagram and gosh, and everyone just thinks that everyone else never makes a mistake. Oh, it it's such a lie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's the big, um, it's such a lie. And I try, but you know, and, but it's such a great tool because you just have to weed through the, I mean, I read through the, you know, People who create what they want to create. And, you know, the one thing that I get kind of upset about that some people is like being a, being a full-time painter is not sitting in your studio, drinking a cup of tea, looking at your, 
musing and the painting. <laughs> That's what I imagined it would be like. <laughs> it's not. No. It is. It is um, hard graft. I mean, it's like gardening. You know, it's like it's it's hours and hours, and it's not pretty. Well, not to mention paying bills and answering phone calls and just all the distractions, just keeping the studio organized, buying materials. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. I can't even think of all the stuff, but I don't know how it is with you, but I could, sometimes I'll go a week and then I'll, I'll be sitting there on Sunday and thinking I got no painting done last week. All I did yeah. was miscellaneous chores that needed to be done. Yeah. I make, well, I make sure that like I have a, I'm really, um, I make sure I like I paint from seven to two. And then from two o'clock on, I do real world stuff. Like, oh, you know, that's good like, to be disciplined like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this afternoon, I'm going to drain water heaters, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. like I keep, I keep the real world stuff to after two o'clock. Um, so you commit but, a solid seven hours a day, five days yeah. a week, six days a week, six days a week, six days a week. That's yeah. great. But, but I'm on the back foot, you know, I have so much time to make up. Um, so I, you know, I have to keep up like this, this pace because, you know, opportunity is coming and, you know, I kind of would like to take a week off and just work on the house. And because I'm currently living in an episode of This Old House with Bob Vila. Do you remember that show? I loved that show. <laughs> yeah, I watched it as a kid. I loved yeah. it too. And I'm currently living it. It's like, it's, there's so much that needs to be done. And, you know, drywall. I mean, it's just, I'm living it. It's like, I look at it. It's like, oh, I should probably patch that, you know, wall today. That's like, exactly no, what I'm doing. I've got a bathroom upstairs in my studio that's gutted. And yeah. I wanted to do it myself because I love woodworking and all those things involved in yeah. doing a bathroom, but I'm losing my mind. And my wife's finally like, you just got to swallow your pride. Not so much your pride. You just got to give up something. You can't do everything. But I'm like, yeah. I love woodworking. I want to make the cabinets. I want to do this. She's like, Jeff, you got to just stop. <laughs> and so I finally called this guy I know who's one an incredible woodworker and he he's probably going to do a lot of the cabinets, but, right. but it's like, there's just so much yeah. to do. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So you're with Arcadia. How long have you been with Arcadia now? Oh, like since two, July of last year. Oh, so. you're just barely getting started. Barely in there. Barely. And, um, okay. But they're really happy. And uh, I just sent, I just came back from driving to LA they sent they gave them three big paintings for the LA art show is happening and I met the owner and he was a great guy and I you know had never met him before and uh so he's, he's really supportive and really really supportive and understanding and I'm just like I can't stress enough how you know just blown away I am at the to be a part of that gallery yeah it's a great gallery yeah. yeah. Like I said, their lineup's quite incredible. Well, cool. Yeah. So yeah. let's look at your art. Oh, okay. I'm excited for the viewers if they haven't heard of you. I mean, you're so new. I had no idea yeah. when I saw your art, you were such a new artist and 
in the art world here, but because you, your work is so artist. seasoned. Yeah, but you took so much time off. You might as well have been born a couple years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm really curious how you landed where you did on this architectural subject. It's so interesting. What I love about it is how unpredictable it is, how, how design heavy it is, which is sort of a weird phrase, design heavy. But like, let's take this painting right here. That's really sophisticated, the way you crop the sky at like a fifth of the canvas. And then it's almost like, it's almost not even a wall of windows. It's almost just like a, like a classical abstract painting with just fields of shape and color, but yet it is a building. That's what I find interesting about your paintings. Well, I think, you know, I try to, what really interests me is like a really cinematic quality. Mm -hmm. And I remember going as a kid to a birthday party on the back lot of 20th Century Fox. And um, my dad was a dentist in Beverly Hills and he had a lot of famous people in his practice. And I remember, I don't know whose party it was, but I remember we went to the back lot of this big studio and I saw a lot of um, backdrops, painting, painted back, backdrops. And it really had a strong, I mean, I never forgot it, that feeling of like, fake but real you know that trump loy kind of mm -hmm. feeling and i think that's what informs a lot of my decisions on on what i paint it's like it's just that feeling of it. it's real but it could be out of a scene from a movie um you know so they're they're kind of surreal in a way kind of in some ways mm -hmm. um and how when what's what draws me to to certain things but i want them to read like kind of surreal in a way yeah i love this shadow pattern oh the wires yeah, yeah. it's so cool yeah. is that fun to paint it looks like yeah. it's kind of challenging it's, to paint shadows are great to paint they're so you know whenever i'm painting i'm always thinking to myself you know black is never black white is never white you know one color is never just that color you know it's like this bizarre crazy chaos of pointillism you know how light reacts on a, on a surface um, so yeah. in person they really do vibrate a little bit more because you know the way i paint it's like and you're probably the same way when you look at a painting you know you're looking at it like three inches away right mm -hmm. you always go mm -hmm. close in so that's how i paint i paint for somebody to look up really close because i want them to be able to see interesting things up close yeah you know i had a teacher that said that your painting should look good from three inches away three feet away and 30 feet away yeah i believe the same thing yeah oh that was really good advice yeah, it is. And you really have a lot of paint on here. I'm noticing in the sky and the yeah. texture well, on the was, side of the building. That I, I gashed the, the panel. 
Oh, is that a repair? So I tried to like, yeah, like I think I dropped like a tool or something on it. No way, I that sucks. To, I covered it up. Oh man, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's still sold. Somebody has it somewhere. Well, yeah, but it's still you're still it's not thin anywhere. No. There's some definitely but, some body to the paint. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this one almost looks like watercolor, is it? No, it's oil. No, that one is not. That has some texture to it because I, I made a lot of mistakes on that. So the paint kind of kept building up. But uh, wow, no, you can't even some... tell. It almost looks yeah. like watercolor. I think it's just because of maybe it's because of the gray palette. So it feels kind of washy yeah. in color. Yeah. But you know, all of them kind of are, there's not too much impasto on any of them, except when I make a, a big mistake. Except when you put a brush or something through the canvas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So tell me about you, how you find your subject matter. Obviously, most of this stuff, well, maybe it's not so obvious, but it looks like these are homes in San Francisco. Yeah, it's all San Francisco and... You know, I don't have a car, so I'm walking everywhere. And um, uh, it's all, yeah, just, you know, just walking, you know, walking down the street. It's like, oh, sometimes I'll go out on missions and I'll like, you know, scouting. I'll try to scout some stuff. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's just like, I'm walking to the market. It's like, hey, that'll make a great painting. I'm walking the dog. It's like, oh. That will make a really good painting. It's all haphazard. So you have your camera with you, or do you just shoot these with your cell phone, or what? Cell phone, yeah. It's amazing and now. We don't even need SLRs or anything yeah, anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I remember in school, like going out and shooting pictures, like on my Polaroid, and then doing paint, you know, doing drawings from the Polaroid at home. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember shooting models for my paintings in school and then bringing them to Costco to get developed. And then they come back all orange and you have to yep. figure out how to deal with it. <laughs> it drove yeah. me crazy. Yeah. yeah. So this, uh, one of the things that is really interesting about this is how detailed some of the shingles are, or is this brick? No, those are shingles. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, they're so detailed yeah. and then you let it sort of fade out around these some some of these edges i just love that well that was you know that's the the training i got in that junior college is like you know i'm a big edges girl because you know edges are everything mm -hmm. they for me at least you know the way i i try to really pay attention to you know what's the hard edge what's the soft edge because you know, and how they work together. And sometimes I fudge it, like it's really a hard edge, but I decide, well, then the painting, it'll look better if I smudge it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's obviously yeah. what you're doing here. Yeah. Taking some real artistic liberty here. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, and your sense yeah. of color, it's so sensitive. You've got these cool shadows and cool lights, and then this warm, it goes from cool to warm down this eave right here that is yeah. so subtle tell me about your approach to painting when you're trying to get these 
incredibly subtle transitions. What is it that you're doing? Are you using soft sable brushes? Is it just? I use the like number, I'm a number two bright, you know, or I use a lot of Princeton brushes, you know, they're tiny. Mm -hmm. um, even on the big paintings that I just finished, they were all like num done with number two pen. Sounds uh, like you're brushes. drawing a painting. Exactly. I drew for so many years. I think I really draw. I I paint draw. <laughs> yeah, that's how David Casson yeah. does it too. Just kind of just like a draws. There's a lot. Just yeah, like there's a, a pencil. Lot of that. Yeah. So do you just work from one corner down to the other, or do you work in layers, or? Well, like I will, like I'll draw it out, and then I, you know, I take the picture, and then I. I take it on Photoshop and I mess around with it a little bit. Like mm -hmm. I take out some of the noise, like if there's pipes or if I don't like some wires and then I print that out and then I'll do a, a drawing of that. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't like to, I like not to be looking at a screen. Uh, when I draw, I like to like, I don't want to draw off a computer screen. I don't why know is why. That? I think it, I think it's to protect my eyes too, because of the, like we were talking before, the eye strain mm -hmm. is really real with me. And mm. I, I, I just want to protect that. Like, I don't want to be looking at, like I see painters and they'll be painting from their photographs, but on a screen. Yeah. That's what I do. And I was like, no, I want to, I just think that I, it messes with my eyes. I really think I might, maybe I have something weird going off my eyes, but I'd rather just, you know, do the drawing and then work from the drawing. And, and so I'll take that drawing and, and then I will project it on if it's bigger, mm -hmm. I'll project it on to the surface. Um, and then I'll block in the underpainting. Like sometimes, you know, part of a painting of like, I'll underpaint it with like a, like a day glow pink or something, you know, because I'll know that'll show through. So where normal people will block in their lights and darks, I will like block in with crazy colors. Really? Yeah. Is there crazy. a painting here where we can see some of that? No, but I'm I'm starting I'm, I'm starting a painting and I'm photographing the whole process. And I'll post that in the next couple months. So if I were to get I'm, close enough to this, I'm assuming I could see some of the underpainting. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So that's why you get that vibration you talked about, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Instagram's not doing you a favor then. Because no, I, I really want to see that. I can't see it on these pictures. No. That's why I'm, I've realized that, like, okay, I need to. So I'm, I'm doing a start to finish from the drawing to the underpainting, everything I'm, I'm documenting it. Hmm. Uh, because, yeah, you can't. They look so much better in person. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. The way you're describing yeah. them, I can imagine they would look better in person. Hmm. Okay, let's see what else you got here. I mean, I man, I wish I could get in close. Oh, maybe this one? Well, you can see some sort of undulation in color temperature, but that looks like the top layer, not the under well, layer. Well, you know, the, the most recent stuff... My sister-in-law gave me a fancy new iPhone for my birthday last year. And ever since I've been taking pictures with that fancy new iPhone. Oh, this one's incredible. 
so you can maybe see a little bit more clarity because the my photos have gotten better. So I used to be using like this iPhone six, you know, oh, from brother. 2009. Jeez Louise, that's you old. Know. Yeah, that's what I was using. But now I'm like on an iPhone 14. This is um, gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I wish so I could. The, I wish I could an, see it. Oh, go ahead. Um, an example of like I painted that for Arcadia and I painted two of them because mm -hmm. the first one just wasn't the haze wasn't right. And so I sent I sent the, the painting to them for show in in September or in October. And then he, he said, he was like, oh, you know, I could have sold that painting three times over. And I go, well, it's funny you say that because I have a companion. I painted a duplicate of it because I, it wasn't right. So I painted it again. Hmm. So, you know, that's where that mind, you know, your mind can really mess you up. Um, so, so what wasn't right about the first one? Oh, well, you don't, maybe you don't haze. want your collector to know. <laughs> no, it's okay. The haze wasn't right. I mean, this one, the haze was right. It was like a... What do you mean by the haze uh, wasn't right? Like that sky haze. It was... Oh, you I just didn't get to... the transitions and colors right? Yeah, it was kind of an orangey, pinky, hazy mm. day. And the one that didn't work out was more blue. And I didn't like it. Oh, um, okay. So I did it again. And... But, yeah, that's, but that's is this the that's old where, one or this is the new one? This was the better this was the one I liked. Okay. 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 Yeah, because that's and, a great sky. I was gonna say if that didn't work out, I don't yeah, quite that understand. One was, that one I was really happy with. That's the one that I sent him. And then and then I sent him the one that I wasn't happy with. It looks exactly like it. But he could see it when I said it. He goes, Oh yeah, I see it. It's all it's it's bluer overall. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But he sold that one too. That's amazing. Congratulations on your success, you. seriously. And this is a great shot to get a sense of scale of some of these. What are they, what, like 24, 24, 36, 36, something like that? Um, they're 30 by 30, and then the tall one is 30 by 40. Yeah, those are knockout. Look at this one. I love this blue one. I love them all, but that, that is so great. Yeah, those were, that's when, you know, I was... Uh... Like when you were first reached out, I was right in the middle of doing those. And I was, I was having such a hard time because for two of them, I didn't do a small study and I learned my lesson because I was under the gun. I wasn't going to get them done in time. And I had so much, so many problems that I, I would have been alleviated had I just taken the extra two weeks and done a small study. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, but the, and I learned cause I'd never worked that big before. And it's like, when you make a mistake, when you're working now, I say big and I realize that you work on a monumental scale. So you have to. Yeah. But I also work it. with a bigger brush than a number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're probably basically doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. All things being relative. Yeah. Um, but it's like the mistakes that you make on a big paint is like, oh, it takes a week to correct to correct mm -hmm. it. Um, because of the way I paint. It's like you just have to if you get a color wrong and you have to color oh, it's just it was Do you think you'll ever graduate? Not graduate. That makes it sound like you're doing something wrong. Do you think <laughs> you'll ever try bigger brushes? No. I think I'm gonna stick I like it. I like that feeling of 
I like the stumbling and scrubbing, scrubbing of it. Yeah. I like doing that. And I go through so many brushes. I was just going to ask you that. You must just tear them up. I tear them up, but I keep them in several states of disrepair mm -hmm. until they're like really down to like the, that metal shaft thing. Like then I You're kidding out. me. Yeah. Because they all have uses like, oh, you know, if you need to, you know, stumble a really small, uh, uh, part and you don't need to clean the edge lines. Like, oh, I have hundreds of them that are perfect for that. So you just have just, piles of the same brush. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's a trip. I can't even imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, ballet dancers with their shoes, like they have so many different pairs of shoes and each are at a different stage of dress until they're finally, they call them dead until they're finally like, no, you have to throw them away. So that's what I, that's what I am with my brushes. That's so interesting. There's so many ways to make a painting because in my studio, yeah. I have every brush imaginable and I use them all. But yeah. it sounds kind of nice to not to just have like your brush, a brush that works for you, and you can just have a whole pile of them. Not, yep. not have to I think too hard about what the brush. best brush is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Does this blue one? Do you have that one larger? Uh, yeah, that's that's on the grid. Okay, I'm gonna find that one because I just love that. Let's see. I keep forgetting where I am. Oh, right here. Oh, it looks much less blue in this picture. Which is more accurate in your studio or this picture? Well, this one, I think there's, go back. I mean, I think there's two pictures of it. It's, it's pretty blue. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it twice. Okay. Oh, okay. No, I, I like mean, it. I like it like this, and I like it blue, yeah. or more blue. I mean, it's kind of that's not an un there. I mean, I think I think the the when they was in my living my living room with the furniture, the first picture, mm -hmm. the lights were different. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to learn about photographing my own work and then the lighting of it all. Um, but in person, that's actually really, the blue is kind of like a, a Prussian blue. Okay. Um, wow. Dirtied up with some orange. Did you have to do two different exposures to get the interior and the exterior? No, you mean when I photographed it? Yeah, in or life? in editing? Um, no, you know, I, that was, I took that like at, 5 a.m. walking the dog. This is like right around the corner from me. And I did, you know, ex expose the camera to the inside to get the glow, you know, and I messed around with it. But then, you know, it's really a jumping off point because once I start the painting, I kind of make it my own thing. You know, I'll, you know, in real life, you know, that, that, that interior window was little bit um more uh yellowy actually oh really yeah yeah so it warmed it up it's rare to see the inside of a building that clear and the outside at the same time yeah that's why but it was, in real life it was it was clear it was just i had to 
yellow light, but yellow and blue, I wanted it to be like orange and blue. I thought that yeah, that looks really nice. Color, color wise. That looks really nice. And look at these nice temperature shifts from yellow to violet through here and then all the way over yeah. here to blue. Man, oh man. Yeah, you have really subtle control of color. You know, all the all I have to say, all those years of, of when I was taking care of Scott Ginger Scott, um uh I would color mix in my head. Really control my stress. Hmm. And you know, we'd be out or at a doctor's appointment or just even in the house and and because uh, there was some I would color mix. So I think all those years of color mixing in my head is paying off. Hmm. What do you mean by color mixing in your head? You're you look at something and imagine how you'd mix it? Yep, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And he would, it's so funny because he would get mad and he goes, you need to focus. Are you color mixing? You need to focus. Yeah, it was funny. I was helping a friend of mine pick out paint colors for her house the other day. And what I do for my own home, and I, and I also did it for her, is I'll go there and actually mix the paint on my palette to get exactly mm -hmm. the temperature and, and hue that or end value that looks great in the room instead of just putting swatches up there, right? Because, you know, yeah. you're limited if you have swatches from a paint store. Oh, yeah. And uh, she kept saying, Ooh, I, that one, I like that one. It's kind of a, it's kind of a plum pinkish, whatever, you know, or this one's kind of like a avocado, but a little more of a lemony avocado kind of and um, she's, what would you call it? I said, they're all gray. <laughs> she's like, what do you mean they're gray? They're not gray. That one's more green. I'm like, yeah, but it's got red, yellow, and blue in it. So it's gray. She's like, what do you mean it's got red, yellow, and blue in it? I said, well, if I was mixing this one, I would start with, I would start with blue at about 50% yellow and about 25% red. She's like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> It's just funny talking to a lay person. Things yeah. completely different about color. They assign these yeah. names that they associate with objects in their life instead yeah. of thinking in terms of how a color is made, like what's in the color. Right. And, you know, one thing I've learned recently is like, and I've set my palette up this way, and I actually organized my paints in warm and cool. Um, I separate them by warms and cools, not by mm -hmm. color anymore. It's just like, what's a warm color and what's a cool color? And it's really, really helped me. Yeah, it's helped me a lot. Well, what the, okay, so are you saying that you have a cool red, cool yellow, cool blue on one side, and then a warm yellow, warm red, warm blue on the other side? Yeah, or like that's how I, that's how I organize my, my actual paints. So, so you don't put the reds all, next to each other? You, I don't, I go by warm I go by temperature right but you see the contradiction there right because yeah yellow is warmer than blue so yeah. it makes sense that they would be next to each other because they're both warmer but you know then i have like these yellows that are like you know um michael hart like tin yellow okay if i in my crazy head that's a cool yellow because right. it's like a more green yellow so you put it on a cool side of the palette 
Yeah. Really? Hey, if it works for you, whatever works. It works for me. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it does work. And I I know it's weird, but once I organize my paint that way, it's like, I I don't know. It just helped me. It just helped me. It's like seeing it like warm, cool instead of actual color. Just the temperature. You just got to embrace the weirdness. I mean, you should have known you were going down that path when you did a 30 by 30 painting with a tiny little brush so you might as well just go all the way and just do everything weird yeah i mean <laughs> i i mean i'm weird i mean i i fully am embracing that it's like i'm i'm not gonna hide any longer <laughs> i'm just teasing you none of it's weird <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right let's look at a couple more okay um are there any of that are your favorites that you'd like to to show off or talk about um, as i go through here And while you're thinking, I'll look at another one here that stands out to me. I love how you often do this, where you look into the house and at the outside. Is that an intentional decision that you're doing? Yeah, I like that. I like the, um, I I wish I could do more of that because I really think it's from a psychological standpoint, it it is, is really interesting. It is. Um, and, but, and I, well, I always do a nightly walk. I do this long walk at night. And uh, I see all these great scenes inside of windows, but I don't want to be that creepy person taking a picture. You know what I mean? It's like standing yeah. outside somebody's house. Well, so their, ha- their really- windows aren't always going to be open either. What you need to do is carry a pocket full of pebbles and yeah. start throwing pebbles at people's window, and then they'll open them. You take a picture and ah, run. That's a good idea. <laughs> Why not? That's a good idea. Because no. I'm always looking for the inside shot because I really find that are the you know fascinating that what is going on inside. And I think it comes from living that that life with with dealing with illness. It's like, you know, a lot of stuff goes on inside our houses. And it really fascinates me. Oh my gosh, um, that is so profound. Because you spent so much time not even leaving your house. Yeah, exactly. And so to the rest, in fact, when you were telling me that story, I even thought about that. I thought, it blows my mind that we all just go about our lives and we have no idea that there's this couple in San Francisco going through this and never even coming out of their house and they're just going through this hard time together in privacy. It's just crazy to think about. And there's millions of people going through those things oh, alone yeah, for sure but and that makes their painting so much more profound it's it's like you can go in the window and imagine what's happening inside yeah yeah it's it's definitely you know the paintings that i do now and going forward you know a lot of it is is you know trying to tell that story um but it's also i realized you know, when you lose a person that close to you, you look for them everywhere and mm-hmm. you don't know that you're doing it, but you know, you'll be in the market or you'll be in this, these, these just normal areas. And, but you're always in the back of your head looking for the person that you've lost. And when I paint, I find him, he's there, he's happy, you know, he's always smiling. And this painting for me, it's like it's it goes back to that conversation of like when we 
it's like, I don't feel like an artist because I'm just painting out, you know, I'm trying to find my husband in -hmm. these paintings. Um, So I don't feel like that's enough of a, you know, artistic merit, but, um, you know, it's that, that's what really draws me to, to some of the scenes. It's like, oh, you know, I find Scott in it. How do you find Scott in this particular one? Well, I think, you know, I find that, you know, our son was in the Marine Corps. So I painted this for Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that the Christmas lights kind of look like barbed wire. Like, you know, they're mm. they're um, So it, it struck a lot of tones with me as like, you know, the barbed wire keeping whoever's inside in. Um, wow. And then the American flag inside the window. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. But it's funny how Christmas lights can turn into barbed wire on the reflection. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I actually thought that when I first looked at it, that it looked like barbed wire. I didn't make the connection between the military and the flag, though, which seems like an obvious connection now that you mention it. Do you ever edit in order to tell a story? In other words, could you see yourself putting in the Christmas lights and the flag where you don't actually see one to tell a story or are you more of a documentary artist where you paint what you see i take out i'll never put in but i'll take out what's detracting from the story okay but i'll never put anything in and why is that i I don't know i just feel it's wrong in some way really so you see yourself more as a documentary artist yeah painting painting things as they are but only pulling away so that you don't you don't inhibit the story you're pulling the yeah, things exactly. that don't help the story exactly yeah yeah that's great i like that philosophy a lot okay so last call before i ask you the last question is there any that you'd mm-hmm. like to talk about that are meaningful to you maybe one where you've seen that that's meaningful to you and your relationship with scott because i find that really fascinating um gosh Maybe go down a little bit, the older stuff. Are any of these the ones you painted for him? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't post those. Okay. Those are too sad. Oh, I know. Um, gosh, I don't know. Oh, these are different. Yeah, those, some of those are colored pencil. No way. Yeah. Yeah, those are cool. Those are colored pencil. Oh, this is a little guy. Somebody's... Yeah. Wow, that's different too. It's a what? cathedral of some kind. Oh, that's the Mission Dolores Cathedral, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot different than these uh, Victorian yeah. houses in San Francisco. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, this is, seriously, your work is absolutely inspiring. Well, thank You're you. You're such a gifted painter, and it's it's been really fun to get to know you. And I'm really glad well, you shared your personal story that was really moving too thank you so okay so if you've heard the podcast before you know what my final question is but i'm going to ask it anyway so yeah and i know you've only been doing this for a short time but maybe that makes this more relevant if you could give one piece of advice to an aspiring artist that you either had or you wish you had what would it be well i thought about this ever since you asked me to be on on this 
podcast and I thought like I want to give a helpful answer and what I realized is that you're starting out you're going to put the same hours as that friend of yours who is doing who is a financial analyst at a big banking firm who's putting in 80 hours or that friend of yours who's working in a law firm who's putting in 75 hours it's the same grind but you're not going to have benefits and you're not going to have you know a lot of money but i wish somebody had told me that that it's a doable career but sacrifices are going to have to be made you're going to have to put in a lot of hours and mm -hmm. it's it's not going to be pretty and it's not what it's not like it is in the movies but it's it's a it's a doable path you'll get there but you're gonna the sacrifices are going to be a lot you know you're not going to be able to go out with your friends and you you know it's it's uh it's going to be like you know being a a junior partner at a at a law firm you know that kind of those kind of hours and also you have to be ready to be able to paint through some really stressful situations like you know waiting to hear from a lawyer or waiting to hear from a doctor or having your kids you know yell at you um you know come out you know i need you know where's my you know where are my soccer plates or whatever it's i basically saying it's not for the faint of heart but it's like the best job on the planet in my opinion yeah yeah you know it brings to mind i've had similar not exactly the same but similar thoughts from other artists that i've interviewed but recently i did an interview and i don't even remember which one it was but i had said something to the effect that the starving artist stereotype isn't real and what i meant by that was that there's the statistic and i don't know if i got this exactly right but every small business is like 95% likely to fail. Yeah. And that's just part of being a business owner. And the reason yeah. why is because yeah. of the grind. Yeah. And so if you're an artist, you're a business owner and you can't just, you can't just, as 100%. you put it, just sit in front of your painting and in your, in your chair, your comfortable chair and like sip coffee and, yeah. you know, and just expect that everything's going to come to you. But I had one commenter say, that's not true because I've been at this for X number of years and, and there it is, the starving artist thing is real. And, um, the thought that came to mind as you're talking is the work is two part. You got to put in so much work just to get good enough. If you're opening a restaurant, you got to yeah, put yeah. in so much work just to get, just to get a menu that people want to put down their gullet. And then the work just started. And then yes, once you've got yeah. the good menu, then, then you're working still at 70 hours a week yeah. to run your business. And so I think a lot of people, when they say, no, starving artist is real. Well, one, you either haven't gotten your work good enough. You haven't gotten your, yeah. you know, your menu down or two, you're just not willing to put in the work after you get your menu down. I think, you know, that acknowledge of, um, of the restaurant is spot on. You know, I love to watch these YouTube videos of, what it's like the you know a day in life of a of a chef mm -hmm. running a restaurant it's like that is what it's like being an artist mm -hmm. you know, it's a grind that is, 
it's a grind and these and never ending. But you know that kind of dedication that that chefs have for their food is totally the same kind of dedication you need for your craft. Mm-hmm. You know that that undid like you know you got to get that Michelin star. You know that perfection, especially if you're a realist painter. I think it might be different if you're a different kind of painter. But I think if you feel in realism of any kind. You know, that kind of unwavering dedication to perfection. I agree. Well, if you're a blue chip artist and some wealthy person attaches himself to you and for the rest of your days you can paint white canvases and sell them for a billion dollars, well, that's different. Yeah. (laughs) But don't hold your breath, people. It's not likely to happen. It's not like, I mean, it's not likely to happen. But, you know, if if your work is... If you, you know, if you're painting at the top of your level, things will happen. Mm-hmm. It's like if the product is, it's all about a product. I mean, at the end of the day, right? Painting is a product. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a commodity that people don't really need. Mm, that's like true. It's a luxury item. It's true. Yeah. But it's an awesome luxury item. Paintings it are is. so inspiring to look it at. Is. And yours yeah. are... Yours are absolutely remarkable. So I'm so honored to have you on the podcast and get to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.